Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good, good. Hey, um, can we do this? I know they're backstage right now. Can we thank our worship team for leading us in worship and thank Rochelle for being here? Just to kind of let you into my mind this morning, I'm thinking, how do you follow that up, right? Like, I feel like it's going to be all downhill from here. Sorry about that. Um, do me a favor. If you uh, have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 7. And uh, if you are new, my name is Calvin, and I'm one of the pastors. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. And we have people coming down the aisles right now who would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. If you don't own a Bible, consider that our gift to you. But if you already have a Bible and just forgot it or don't have it with you, just leave it under your chair at the end of the service. And um, we would love uh, to just to pick that up. So a um, couple things before we begin. Uh, this week, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, um, our high school youth group is going up to Camp Harvest. And what that means is, is we have about 140 or 150 of our students going up for a week of camp. And along with that, there is like 50 other leaders who are college kids or a little bit older who are giving their time to help lead uh, and be with Taylor to help this group. So we would really covet your prayers this week that, that um, you would just be thinking about them and praying for them. We've got a huge group going to camp. Um, pray for their safety. Um, pray that the weather would be good, but um, ideally pray that God would show up and move in the lives of our students. And uh, this has been something year after year where we've seen God do big things and we're believing and expecting he's going to, but we want you to be involved. So if you think about it, write a note in your phone or something, but be praying for our students as they're at camp this week. And uh, I have a really exciting announcement that I get to make right now. Are you ready for it? Been waiting all weekend to make this announcement. Here's what it is. Um, summer is officially halfway over. Wow, I'm getting booed, really? I already said, like, I feel like I feel a little insecure about following that worship set. Now I'm getting booed two minutes in. Um, thank you. But it, it's true, right? We're, what, July 15th now or July 14th? And, and summer is halfway over. And you know why we respond like that when we hear that? Because summers in West Michigan are the absolute best, aren't they? Like, I think there is something special in West Michigan, even compared to the entire country, where we love our summers, and our summers are just greater than anyone else's summers. It is the best. And uh, there's something I've learned about living in Michigan, that there, there's this thing that happens that when summertime comes, life picks up, doesn't it? We think, oh, it's summer, we're going we're gonna to take, take it easy, and it's going to be a little bit more laid back. But the opposite happens. There's more to do, there's more to see, there's more people to hang out with. And, and if we're not careful, um, life can just happen to us over the summer. There's always something to run to, there's always something to do. Think about it, if you have young kids, they're out of school for the summer. So because they don't have to wake up for school in the morning, they stay up later, the routines are different, there are more play dates, there's more time with friends, our small town becomes like three times as big in the summer. There are beaches to go to, there are cottages to spend time at, there are boats to be on, we have things like Art Walk and Art Prize, there are sidewalk sales, there's the Coast Guard Festival, uh, there's the Fourth of July, and here's something I've noticed. Have you ever noticed that your family that lives out of town only begins to miss you and want to spend time with you during the summer in Michigan? Right? Like, isn't it amazing that it's August where the family's like, oh, I just miss you. We'd love to come up and spend a weekend. Like, I've never gotten that in February. Never once has extended family like, I just really want to come see you in Michigan right now. Um, I have family who they live in Orlando and some family who lives in Tampa. And they live there nine months out of the year. And then they come up to Michigan for like two months of the year, and I tell them that's just not right. It's not fair. 
They should not be allowed to live in Orlando nine or ten months out of the year and then have our Michigan summers. We put in eight months of hard work to get this summer, right? Like, we were not designed to live in Florida for the nice part and then Michigan in the nice part. That's what heaven's for, right? It's wrong. And this is an argument I have with my family. And listen, all of these things are good, and I love the summer, and it's fun. But we at least need to be able to admit to ourselves that there's a danger that with everything going on and the change of pace, we cannot just take summer vacation from school, but we can take summer vacation spiritually as well. And, you know, small groups, they take a break through this summer. And um, because there's camping and because there's family and because there's parties, it's easier to miss a week here and there from church. And, and listen, it's not, you don't have to be at church every weekend. But when we stop this routine of meeting with the family of God and worshiping with the Lord, it can often feel like I'm just floating in the summer. We at least have to admit that that's a, a real fear or concern that we should have and uh, the word that Jesus has for us this morning is so perfect because what Jesus is going to say is that, listen, every day we have the decision to make, are we going to build our life on a foundation that lasts or are we going to build our life on a foundation that crumbles? And what Jesus is going to say is, listen, you never accidentally fall into growth in Christ. Like, I've never once in my life been like, man, I haven't pursued the Lord for a season of time, whether that be a week or a month or three months, and been like, man, I'm so much closer to God without ever even trying or pursuing Him. It doesn't work that way. God is relational, and we're called to pursue Him, and that is an everyday decision that we're going to make. Am I going to pursue the Lord, or am I going to pursue my own thing? And I think this was a good word for me to hear this week as I was studying, and I think it's going to be a challenging word for us. So again, if you have your Bibles open, um, open up to Matthew 7, look at verse 24, and I'm going to read through verse 29. You can follow along as I read. Here's what it says, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. All right, so this is a very, very simple passage, isn't it? Jesus is painting a picture for us. There are two men... There are two houses, there are two foundations, and there are two results. One man builds his house on a rock, the rains come, and it withstands the storm. The other one builds his house on the sand, and his life crumbles when the storms hit. All right, this is very, very simple. It shouldn't be over any of our heads. All right, but listen to me. There are some truths in this passage that if we don't hold on to, if we don't grasp and really um, breathe into our hearts, it's going to be disastrous for us, even though it's simple. It's so important. Here's the first thing we need to understand from this text. Storms come from everyone, for everyone. Storms come for everyone. Are you ready? All right, Jesus says there's two men, two different houses, two different foundations. The one thing that these men have in common is that both go through storms. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is marked by sin. And because our world is broken, we are going to go through times of brokenness and we are going to go through storms. 
It doesn't matter if you are 72 years old and have weathered most of life's storms, or if you are 22 years old and you feel like you're invincible. Storms come for everyone. Are you ready? When we do premarital counseling for young couples, we have one entire session that's just dedicated to communication and expectations. And what we tell our young people is that, listen, frustration is born out of unmet expectations. If you have certain expectations of your spouse or of your kids or of your family or your coworkers, and they don't meet those expectations, we become frustrated. That's how frustration works. And what we tell our young people is that, listen, you come from different families. And your families had different routines, they had different rules, and you're going to come into marriage with expectations that you need to talk about or it's going to lead to frustration. Here's an example. If um, a man comes into a marriage and uh, when he grew up, his mom had dinner on the table every day at 5.30, right when dad got home from work, and that was how they lived life every day, dinner at 5.30. But the wife, her family, the dad did all the cooking, or they went out to eat a lot, or there wasn't that standard dinner time. When, when the new husband comes home from work and there's nothing on the dinner table, or all there is is Taco Bell, there's going to be frustration. Right? Like, ladies, you know this. If the expectation of your husband is that every day he's going to come home from work with flowers, give you a huge embrace, and grab you by the, or huge embrace, grab you by the face and stare deeply into your eyes and say, how are you feeling right now? you're probably going to live a frustrated life because that's a pretty high expectation you have for your husband. Frustration is born out of unmet expectations. Here's why I say this. We would never say it because we know it's wrong, but a lot of us live with this expectation that because we're children of God and because we love Jesus, that we should be sheltered from the storms of life. That if God truly loves us, and if he's in control, God should not allow bad things to happen to us. The problem is, is it's not a real promise. It's an expectation that we have put on God, not what God would say he, he would do for us. We believe that God should be this umbrella that shields us from the storm, when God promises to be the anchor that holds us in the storm. And I've talked with so many people that are like, well... If God loves me, like, why would he let my friend or my child walk away from God? And, and I've got to think about my, my friend having an eternity separated from God. Like, that just doesn't seem good to me. Or, or, I mean, there's families in this room right now who have had children diagnosed with a brain tumor. Okay, if God is good, like, why would he let this sickness happen? If God was good, why would he let my parents' marriage fall apart? And if we have the expectation that we're never going to go through storms, when we go through storms, we're going to be frustrated. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises in this life we're going to have trouble, we're going to have tribulation, there's going to be trials. But what Jesus says is, in the face of the storm, if you're with me, you can have peace. One of my favorite parts about pastoring this church is I get to walk with families who are going through severe storms. And I get to see the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus in a real way that's only supernatural. 
there's a lady in our church, and uh, she is in her 70s, and her husband passed away a little over a year ago. And uh, they've been married for a very, very long time. And as we talk with this lady, you know, I've asked her, how are you doing? And, and here's what she says. She goes, you know what? It's really, really sad to lose your husband. He, he, he was my best friend. We have navigated so much of life together. Like we really were, you know, one flesh. We were like the same person. And you feel like you've lost part of you. But she says, you know what? God is so good. And, and I have another husband now. His name is Jesus. And he's with me, and he cares for me, and he is near to me, and I have felt more of his presence in my life than ever before. And it's like, listen, you only get this when you build your life on Christ. We will have trouble. Expect trials and storms to come. And these storms can be different. The storms can be physical storms, right? There can be a diagnosis. There can be a sickness there can be a financial storm, a job transition, a job loss. There can be relational storms, family brokenness. It can be spiritual warfare. I met with a guy after the service last night who he came to me and he was concerned. And he's like, Cal, I'm having dreams that are terrifying me. And they're very, very demonic in nature. It can be spiritual warfare. It can simply be a change in season of life. Maybe you're newly retired. And you're like, man, my whole life was built around work and I feel like I'm just kind of drowning right now because I don't know what to do with my time. Maybe you've just moved or you've just changed a job and you've got to get acclimated to a new business or a new town. Storms come in all shapes and sizes. Jesus is saying, expect them to come. But there is a, a hope that we can thrive and flourish in them. Look at verse 24. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. All right, but then jump down to 26. And then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. All right, so Jesus only gives us two options. All right, and the second thing we need to understand is that we are builders. Build wisely. We are builders and we have the choice, are we going to build wisely or build foolishly? There's not a third option here. You don't get the choice where it's like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to build, I'm going to be neutral. Jesus says you're either building a foundation out of rock or you're building a foundation out of sand. All right, so to my high school crew in the front row, listen, I know you guys are young, but you realize you're building a foundation for your life right now that will either last or it will crumble? You don't get the choice. You don't get to say, well, mom's going to do it for me. You build. If you're in here and you are older, you are still building a foundation. We are all builders. Parents get this, right? Like if you're a parent of young kids, we never get to decide, hey, I don't want to be a parent today, right? Like I have uh, four kids at home, seven, seven, five, and three. No matter what happens today, guess what? Tomorrow, I'm going to have four kids who want me to parent them, who need me to parent them. It's my responsibility. And they're probably going to wake me up before I want to be awake. Like if, um, say, Pastor Chris and, and Carolyn, say they showed up to my house after church today, and, and they walked in, and I was like, hey, where, where's your kids? And they told me, hey, we decided uh, we're not going to be parents today. We don't even know. And uh, we got up, we said, hey, we're over it, it's too much work, so we just left them at the house and we've been doing our own thing. That'd be a problem, right? Like, you'd be like, all right, well, we're going to call the police and we're going to get them to their house to make sure that they're alive and the house isn't on fire. And, and then we need to, like, get you to a mental hospital because you're off the rails. We don't get to decide when we want to be parents. 
we don't get to decide if we're builders or not. And, and to not be building at all is building with a foundation of sand. We have a choice to make. How are we going to build? So here's what we're going to talk about now. When Jesus says build our life on the rock, what is he talking about? What are these words that we need to hear and do? And what I want to talk about now is five keys to wise construction. And we're going to do some review over our Sermon on the Mount series. And what were the five big things that Jesus is calling us to build our life on? All right, here's the first one. And the first one's weird. Um, the first one, it, it's going to seem unusual. Here's what it is. If we're going to build our life on a rock that lasts, we need to embrace brokenness. We need to embrace a brokenness over sin. If you have your Bibles open, flip back to Matthew 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3. This is when Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount. This is his first statement. He says this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't think it's on accident that Jesus says, do you want to have access into the kingdom of heaven? This all begins by being broken over your sin, poor in spirit and mourning over our sin. Now, let me be very clear. When I talk about brokenness over sin, here's what I mean. It is both knowing intellectually that we are sinful but it is also feeling the weight of our sin and what that communicates to a holy God. That when we sin, it's not something that's just private that only affects us, but we are shaking our fists at God and saying, your way is not good. You don't know what you're doing. Even though you spoke the world into existence, I'm going to do things my own way. It is rebellion. And we need to feel the weight of that that we don't deserve God. Did you know that? We don't deserve to have a relationship with God. We are not entitled to it. And we also need to feel the weight of the chaos our sin and selfishness creates in our life and the life of the people we love. We need to embrace brokenness. I was thinking this week, how can I say this as strongly as possible? And here's my best shot. You ready? Without brokenness, you have nothing. If you have never gotten to a place in your life where you were truly broken over your sin, both intellectually and emotionally, how can the gospel ever be sweet to you? If we're never truly broken over our sin, how does what Jesus Christ, what he did for us, his love, his forgiveness, his life and death on the cross in our place, it's never sweet if we're never broken. And when we neglect in our life to be broken over our sin, when, when we go months or years without getting on our knees before the Lord and confessing our sin and saying, God, I hate that I do this. Would you help me? It stunts our growth spiritually in ways that are so damaging. You know, it's funny. When I even say the word brokenness, a, a negative connotation comes in your head, right? You think failure, you think weak, you think, you know, uh, why, why would I want to be broken? I, I just want to be okay and, and I want to be fixed. So when we think of our sin and our failure, what we do is we, we just shove it in the closet of our heart and say, I don't want to admit any weakness. I'm not going to tell people what's really going on. I'm not going to tell people what's really happening because I've got to keep up this image of everything's okay. But what the Bible says is that when we are broken, you know it's really one of the healthiest places we could ever be? 
In Psalm 34, 17 and 18, the psalmist writes, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Listen to this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. You want to know who God is near to? He is near to the people who are broken. He always shows up and he forgives and he redeems and he restores and he saves. You want to feel the presence of God in a close and intimate way? We need to be broken over our sin. When I'm broken over my sin, aren't I way less likely to be arrogant and prideful? When I understand the effects of my sin on my relationship with God and others, I'm way less likely to be judgmental, right? I'm way less likely to be focused on other people's failures. I'm way more kind. I'm way more loving. I'm way more compassionate. All of this is a result of our brokenness. If we're going to build a life on the rock, we need to hear the words of Jesus and embrace brokenness. Here's the second one. We need to intentionally pursue God. We need to intentionally pursue God. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about, in his Sermon on the Mount, how do you pray? And Jesus is like, listen, don't pray like the Pharisees who do it in the middle of the street for attention. And he says, when you fast, don't, don't do it in a way where you make yourself look hungry and miserable so everyone knows you're fasting. But the secret to prayer is prayer in secret. And this is how you pray. Why would Jesus spend so much time talking about prayer? Because it's how we pursue God relationally. And what we did for this series, we've done something we've never done before as a church, and I gathered some of the pastors, and we were like, how can we make this sermon sticky, or this sermon series sticky? And we want to not just hear about the words of Jesus, but we want to practice them together. So we developed this thing called Practicing the Way, and throw up the next slide. And so throughout the last three months that we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, we, we've done these five things together. One's coming on Monday, but the other four we've already done. We had a conversation that we sent out on video to you with some pastors and leaders talking about what does silence and solitude look like in our life? Why do we need it? Why is it important? This is something that Jesus would often do. He would go away by himself where it was quiet and meet with the Lord. We... Uh, did a Bible study. Remember, we made a devotional by some of the pastors and their wives, and for five or six days, every morning there was a new devotional, and we studied God's Word together. We did a church-wide fast where we were led in, what are we going to pray about? What are we going to seek the Lord about? We had a night of worship and prayer together where we lifted up significant needs in our church before the Lord, and we're going to talk about Sabbath this week. But here's why we do this. We didn't just pick five random things. What all of these things have in common, this is how we pursue the Lord in relationship. All of these things are connected to us pursuing a deeper relationship with God. And look here, these aren't things you just do once and you've done it. These are things we do routinely and consistently to foster a dynamic relationship with God. My fear is, is that you would think back on this series in a year from now and you're like, man, that practicing the way thing was awesome. Wasn't it so cool that one time we fasted together? If that's the case, we've missed it. What's your devotional life like? What's your prayer life like? Are you engaging with your heart and your mind and your body in worship on a regular and consistent basis? These are rhythms in our life that we develop if we want to have a relationship with God. We need to pursue intentionally God. Here's the third, and this one's huge. We need to pay attention to our hearts. We need to pay attention with what's going on inside our hearts. 
Jesus takes a portion of the sermon in Matthew 5 and he talks about things like lust and anger and, and taking oaths and, and marriage and divorce. And, and here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21. You can turn back there if you want to see it. Here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. All right, so what Jesus is saying is, listen, it's not just the action that I'm concerned about. That, listen, if you are angry and hold anger towards someone, it's the same thing as if you were to murder them. And Jesus is saying it's not enough just to focus on the externals. And it's really easy to just focus on external things, right? Like, how often do we think about our day and this is what we think? Man, I had a good day. I didn't get in an argument with anyone. I didn't get in trouble. There were no fights. Um, there, there, there was no fires I had to put out. Every, it was a good day. Everything went fine. But the truth is, even though you never got in an argument at work, you sat in your chair and came up with the top 10 ways to kill my coworkers all day in your mind, privately. Right? When your boss asks you to do something, um, you rolled your eyes. And, and did you know it's possible even to do good things for terrible reasons? Right? It's possible to be a great coworker, but it's not because you want to love and serve the people you work with. You want to be seen and to be elevated and work your way up to the top. You know, it's possible to be kind to your spouse just to make them feel like more of an idiot. Right? My husband's such a moron. You know what? If I make him a really nice dinner, he's going to feel so stupid because he treated me so bad. Right? I'm going to heap hot coals over his head. Like, I'm a little terrified of the people that love that verse. Like, if your life verse is, I want to do nice things that heap hot coals over people's head, like, that's kind of scary. Why do we need to be the hammer of God in people's lives? We can do ministry to elevate ourselves. Well, people see that I serve in church and they see that I volunteer, they're going to think I'm a good person. And we can actually be working to build our own kingdom in the name of the kingdom of God, which is terrifying. Jesus is saying, what's going on in your heart? Can I ask you a question? When's the last time in your life you've taken five or ten minutes and simply just thought to yourself, what's going on in my heart right now? What causes me to be fearful? What causes me to be anxious? What causes me to be angry? What, what causes me to be frustrated? Um, or how about this? Have you guys ever had that thing where you, like, you just wake up and you're on the wrong side of the bed? Right? And you're just irritable and you're grumpy and family's driving you crazy or your kids are driving you nuts. Have you ever like just felt like that? We're like, man, I'm just irritable. Come on, it's not just me, right? <laughs> Have you ever stopped and thought, what's going on in my heart that's causing this? Like, you know, it's not actually what side of the bed you wake up on, right? But there's something going on in our heart. And the truth is, is there's something going on where we haven't died to ourselves. We haven't died to our flesh and there's something going on where we want to be served or treated a certain way and because it's not happening, we're frustrated. So rather than just like plowing through life, not thinking about our heart, what Jesus is saying, no, we need to be in tune to that. In, uh, in Luke 6.45, this is what Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Okay, what Jesus is saying is, listen, your heart is what's going to shape your life. It's not your actions, but your heart is going to shape your words, and it's going to shape your actions. We need to be in tune with what's going on in our hearts. Here's the fourth one. 
We need to develop a growing dependence on God. We need to develop a growing dependence on God. In uh, Matthew 6.25, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Right? What a word for Americans in 2018, huh? Do not be anxious. We're the most anxious country to ever exist at our most anxious time. And he says, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep. He says, listen, God clothes the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, and you are more valuable to them. And if God's in control of what the birds eat, he's got you covered. And we need to trust that God is good, that he's faithful, that he's in control, and that he loves us. Remember we talked about how fear, when something scary happens, it's an opportunity to choose faith or to choose anxiety. And what most of our anxiety is, it's really an attack on God's character. I don't believe you love me. I don't believe you're good or I don't believe you're in control. Jesus says, listen, no, no, no. We need to depend on God for everything. Um, I love that song we sang today. Yeah, you remember that song, um, I'm a child of God? Yes, I am. Um, we sing that song at our house, and I have a daughter, Ashley, who's been working through some anxiety things, and what we've been telling her is, is that, listen, when you're scared, or when you have a thought that scares you, you need to replace it with what's true. And so we told her, like, the words of the song, I am chosen, I'm not abandoned, I'm not forsaken, I am who you say I am, I'm a child of God. And we've just been instilling, you've got to replace the lies with the truth. And so Ashley came down just last week, and she was like, hey, mom. Um, so I had a, a scary thought come into my head and um, I sang that song and I replaced it with the truth. And Mary's like, Ashley, that's amazing. You're doing an incredible job. And she's like, here's the problem. Ten minutes later, the thought came back. Now what? <laughs> and Mary is like, well, you know what you need to do, baby? You need to say the same truth again. And Ashley's like, how many times? And Mary's like, some days it's going to be a hundred and Ashley looked at her like just completely overwhelmed. And then Mary said, you know what? But guess what? The next day, it might only be 50. And in a week from now, it might only be 10. And in a month from now, you're not going to have to tell it anymore because you've told your truth so much you believe it and it becomes a part of who you are. It's what shapes your life. Right? The truth of God is what shapes our life. And this is a different message for a different time. But I am just like astounded by the people who can sing the powerful words of songs like that and be completely unmoved emotionally. Like these are what we build our life on, church. That God is good, that he's faithful, that he's in control. It's not about who wins the World Cup or what our summer plans are or what our job is or how we look. All of those things change and they fade. We build our lives on the promises of God and that means every day my life should be less about this world, more on trusting in the character and faithfulness of the one who loves me. Amen. Someone was pumped. Thank you for that. I, I like that. That was good. <laughs> Here's the last one. We need to remember the end game. We need to remember the end game. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus transitions and he starts talking about the return of Christ. And he says, someday I'm coming back and everyone's going to give an account. And there's some people who are going through the motions who are going to say to me, look at all I did for you. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And Jesus was saying, we need to live with an eternal perspective that this world is not the end of the story but that we are stepping into eternity. Um, about a year ago, 
I had uh, Brian Beamant over for a board game night. If you guys know Brian, he's the pastor at Harvest North Muskegon, and he and I are about as competitive as they get. So we'll compete at anything. We'll compete at pickleball, we'll compete at tennis, we'll compete at like anything you can compete on, we'll compete on. Well, he loves board games. And he's like, Cal, Cal, we got to have a board game night. It's going to be incredible. And, and so he came over and we had a board game night. So here's a question. How many of you guys have played Settlers of Catan? All right, come on, raise them up, be proud. Okay, I like Settlers of Catan, but that's as far as I'm willing to nerd out on a board game, all right? That's the line. I have standards. Anything more than that, it's no longer a game. It's just weird, all right? That, that's my philosophy. Well, Brian comes over, and he's like, dude, I've got this incredible game. The game's called Puerto Rico. And, and I'm like, Brian, you realize Puerto Rico's a place. It's not a game, right? And he's like, no, 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 it's a board game. And he lays down this board game. Here's how I can best describe Puerto Rico. If you could take the complexity of Settlers of Catan and times it by 100, you're getting close to what Puerto Rico is. And he's like, no, no, you're going to pick it up quick. Learn the instructions. Here's the instruction manual. It was a 300-page book. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not reading like a doctoral thesis paper to play a board game with you, Brian. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a little intense. He's like, just look it up on YouTube. I'm sure there's YouTube videos made on, on, on strategy for Puerto Rico. And so I look up uh, the YouTube video. The first video that pops up is a 35-minute explanation on how to play the game, and that was part one, all right? And I'm like, I'm not watching a movie to play a board game with you, Brian. Like, and, and she's like, no, no, I'll teach you along the way. So we play this, this crazy game, and it's like, sometimes you're a farmer, and sometimes you're a sailor, and like you're mining ore, and then like you're the mayor sometimes, and like it always changes. Like, I have no idea what's going on, and, and like this game is awful. And, and three hours later, we're playing this game, I still don't know what's happening, and all of a sudden Brian's like, do, 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 I won! And I was like, I didn't even know it was possible to win this game. I thought it was some form of torture, right? I thought it was like, whoever literally dies first loses. I thought that was the rule at the end of the game. Like, this makes no sense. And he's like, no, 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 Cal. Like, like next time you play it, you'll, you'll be more familiar. You'll pick it up as we go along. I've never invited him over back to my house. I'm like, no. <laughs> if you like that stuff, that's too weird for me. You're out. Here's the point. If you have no idea how the game ends, you have no chance to win. And we call the return of Christ the great hope of the church. That one day Jesus is going to come and he is going to make everything right. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more sin. And we will live with our Savior for eternity. That is our hope. And here's what's crazy. We never even think about that. In fact, we like to push the return of Christ away or we push death away. We don't want to think about it because it scares us. So the very thing that is our hope, we spend most of our life running away from until we have to deal with it because we're terrified. When Jesus says, no, 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 you need to live with eternity at the front of your mind. 99% of the things we say and do will hold no eternal value, but 1% will. And are we building our lives for the things that matter or that last, or are we running after futility? Jesus is saying, listen, there is an end coming. Jesus is coming home, and he wins. 
And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that should be what shapes our life, not something that we avoid out of fear. Jesus is saying that, listen, if you want to build your life on the rock, you need to hear and do these things. You need to embrace brokenness. You need to intentionally pursue God. You need to pay attention to your heart. You need to develop a growing dependence on God. And you need to remember the end game that this is just a mist. It's a vapor in our eternal perspective. So I'm going to give you the big idea now. And I saved it for the end because here's the one thing I need you to understand that I'm trying to communicate. Every day we decide to build a foundation that will either crumble or last. And if you build your life on anything else other than Jesus, it's not lasting. Influence, possessions, work, money, sex, athletic achievement, none of it lasts. But we're going to make a choice today. What am I going to build my life on? Hey, Nathan, can I have you come up here? I need your help for something. Nathan's a, a friend of mine, and um, I need you to help for this, this picture. All right. I want you to take this mason jar, and this is your life, okay? okay. Pretty impressive, huh? Not really. I can, I can boil you down to a mason jar. All right. Simple analogy. Today, when you come home from church and how you treat your wife and what you do this week, you have a choice. You can build your life on a rock. You can pursue God. You can confess sin. You can be broken. You can carve out time in your life to build your relationship with the Lord, and you can add rocks to your life. Or you can just be lazy and neglect the things of God. Um, or you can run after sin or not confess hidden sin, and you can add sand to your life. Do you know that a great theologian, his name was G.K. Chesterton, he says it's not that Christianity has been found tried and false, it's just been found tried and difficult. And a lot of times we pursue the Lord, we don't pursue the Lord simply because we're lazy. And so here's the choice. Every day, am I going to add sand or am I going to build my life on a foundation of rock? Here's my fear for us. This is what I want you to pay attention to. This is my concern. My concern is, is that we are leaning in our relationship with Christ on rocks that have been put in a long time ago. So maybe you think, well, no, the rock in my life is I remember when I gave my life to Christ. And I was in high school, I heard this message, I came forward and I said a prayer, that's my rock. Or, you know, hey, three years ago I was in a great small group of guys and we really got after the Lord and confessed sin and God was really working. So, so there's another rock. Um, but the truth is, you haven't been pursuing the Lord. You haven't been getting after him, doing the things that Christ calls you to do. So in the meantime, you've got these few foundational rocks that are in your life. But in the meanwhile, sand is just filling your foundation over and over and over and over again. So the problem is, when the storm hits, you got some rocks in there that will hold, but it's 90% sand, and you're going to be leveled to your knees. And what Jesus is saying is, is, listen, every day is a choice to add rocks to this jar to build your life on the rock, but it takes intentionality. It's a choice you're going to make. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. Let's thank Nathan for, for helping us with that. You're going to make a choice. What are you going to build your life on? Um, I, uh, just after the 9 o'clock service, a woman came up to get prayed with after the service. And it was one of those things where she said, you know, Pastor, can I talk to you? And as soon as I came down, she started crying. And her eyes teared up, and she was super emotional. 
And, and she said, um, you know, I just want to thank you for that analogy because she said, you know what? I grew up in the church. My, my folks were in ministry and I've got some rocks in my foundation, but my life is mostly sand. And I'm struggling with hoping in things that won't last and I'm struggling with fear and anxiety and I realize it's because I've stopped pursuing the Lord. And you know what I told her? I said, isn't God so good that he's gracious, that he's kind and he's forgiving? And he loves us, and your brokenness means he's already drawing near to you, and he's going to help you today begin to build up your life with a firm foundation. Right? The beauty in this is you might be here, and you might be feeling, man, I've made a lot of dumb choices, and I haven't been pursuing the Lord, and I've let summer just like kick me into this mode of not thinking about what's going on in my heart. But listen, this week you have opportunities to build your life on the rock. God isn't going anywhere. He loves you. He's going to help you build this life. Look at verse 28 of Matthew 7 as we close. It says, And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the response to Jesus after this message was the people were astounded. And they were astounded because Jesus wasn't like their scribes. You see, scribes, they just copied the law. They wrote what was already there and gave some context to it. But Jesus was preaching as the words of God. You know, one of the, uh, um, one of the pillars of Harvest Church, one of our four pillars, is preaching God's word with authority. And we say that's a pillar of ours, not because my words have authority, but because we're preaching the words of God. And the people were astonished at the authority of Jesus Christ. So the question I want to close with today is, are you astonished? Are you astonished at the words of Jesus? And if I can just be honest and lay out my heart before you, um, I needed this series on the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know why? Because I am way more astonished with Jesus today than I was three months ago when we began this message. Here's why. Jesus, speaking 2,000 years ago, gives more truth into my life and into our culture and to what's going on in our world than any Oprah Winfrey episode or Dr. Phil episode. He is the words of life. And he proves himself over and over that he is God because he perfectly identifies what's going on in our hearts the way only our creator could identify it. Okay, listen, don't put anything away yet. I need you to have your eyes on me. This is so important. It says the people were astonished. But here's what I wonder. How many people left astonished and then never did anything with it? That same lady that I spoke to at the nine, she's like, you know, so often I, I, I leave church and I'm like, what a great time of worship or what a great message. And then life just happens. And then I find myself in the same place I was last week and, and I beat myself up over it. I think when Jesus entered Jerusalem the last week of his life, what did the people do? They crowded the streets and they shouted Hosanna. How many of those people were with him when he was hanging on a tree? Not many. We have a choice. Is our astonishment with Jesus, is it going to lead to real transformation in our lives? Are we astonished enough to trust him to change? Or are we astonished just enough for the moment? And then it will be on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And in next week or in a month or a year, we're going to find ourselves in the exact same place. The Lord wants more for you than that.
but it's never going to happen by accident. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, this is how you build your life on the rock. You're either going to hear and do or you're not. The ball is in our court. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good and you're just so much more kind to us than we deserve. And God, I just confess that so often we aren't broken over our sin and we do justify and we do blame shift and we just push it away. So often we don't pursue you. So often um, we allow our hearts to go unchecked. And I'm just thankful for your forgiveness and your kindness that you are with us, that you are near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. God, we need that. We need to know that you love us and you've proven that so faithfully in what Jesus Christ both said and did on our behalf. Now I pray that you would strengthen us to follow you, to pursue you, God, that our life would be built on the rock so when the storms of life come, that our faith might thrive and we might be a light to a dark world. We love you and we confess that we need you.